Hi guys and welcome back to this week's episode of the Nursing Handover podcast. You have your budding trio, me, Jerry, the lovely Carissa and the lovely Diane and we also have a, a lovely guest. We have Remy who is an adult nurse by background and turned into a midwife. And yeah, so how are you guys doing this week? It's been Easter week, we've had a few days oh. off. I hope you guys have been resting. All good. Feeling well. <laughs> Recovering from Theo's birthday yesterday, but other than that, all good sweet weekend and the weather was amazing so I can't complain it really was because it started snowing this morning when? yeah it did when, <laughs> when I, I, I pulled up just now I, yeah wait is it still snowing oh no it stopped now it stopped. but it was legit like snowing um, yeah, very strange my sister, my sister was like look outside so I was like eh it's living good in for you it's like I put nothing in park this weather of course, you can have all four seasons in one day. Legend. Mm-hmm. Legend. How are you, Remy? What have you been I'm up good, to? Thank you. Um, so did the Greenwich cable zip line thing in Neto too, which is nice with my niece. Do you know what's funny? I feel like everyone was celebrating Easter this year. Like there was no Easter eggs yeah. in Sainsbury's mm. when I went. The lines was so long for like the bun and cheese and the fish. And I was just like, I don't feel like it was like this the year before yeah. I mean no it's in lockdown but it just yeah right. everyone was everyone really was involved in the season yeah I think Easter, because... happy Easter. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's because like lockdown is somewhat beginning to end and like yeah. last year mm. this time everyone was so scared of corona that no one was doing anything That's with like true. no external okay. family nothing Mm. that now it's like I don't hey, remember anyone saying happy Easter last year no exactly <laughs> funny you say that I don't either Nothing like last year. It's just all kind of right, it's been a good weekend. Plus the vaccine. What do you think, Larissa? I think the vaccine has encouraged people to kind of socialize a bit more as well. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, because people seem to think they're immune. But I have my yeah. own takes on that. But you know, yeah. it is what it is. <laughs> But anything Black that can get us back, <laughs> <laughs> anything that can get us back to some sort of normality, I am here mm. for it. So yeah, yeah, from there. But yeah, so I'm glad to hear that you're all well and have been enjoying the last few days. But to be honest, it's just been quite nice to not think about work or anything mm. like that, yeah. and just kick up, put your feet up, and relax. Because let's be honest, once things open. The enjoyment that we'll be enduring will not be the same <laughs> as now. <laughs> but yeah, so this week we wanted to talk about a show that came out last week that I'm guessing a lot of people have tuned in and watched. But if not, it's still available on Channel 4, I think, for the next 30 days. Don't quote me. Is the Black Maternity Scandal. And I guess we just wanted to like dissect it and give our own opinions and like not just to do well this is going to sound so weird sorry not just to do with maternity but like as a whole Mm. like do we think there's a big difference for different races within the NHS and things like that do you guys get where I'm coming from Mm. yeah but yeah yeah it's like a professional's take on it isn't it yeah because I guess we're all looking from like the outside in also yeah out Okay, I've just confused myself, but um, <laughs> outside, but yeah, it, yes. <laughs> but no, before we get into that, can you please tell us a bit more about yourself and what you do yes. and all that jazz? 
Um, so I trained as an adult nurse for, so I did my training and then went into end of life care, worked with um, adults in hospices and did a course on end of life. So I did a lot of bereavement care for that, but I always knew I wanted to be a midwife. So I sort of did that route, but once I was there for a year and sort of got my skills and certain things, I said, right, I'm going to go and do my midwifery. Um, so once you've done your three years of nursing, you can just go to do the 18 month midwifery course. So I did that and trained for a midwife and just knew, yeah, this is what I love. This is what I like to do. Um, and then, so finished my preceptorship. So when you're doing your preceptorship, you kind of do all areas of maternity. So your antenatal, postnatal, labour, triaging. And now I'm doing home birth midwifery. which again was something that you know I've always liked low risk and I think it's where my skills shine the best when it's low risk and just really looking after that woman in her zone and really giving her that empowerment to know that this is you you've got this I'm here to just watch and make sure everything goes okay but it's you and the baby communicating, working with butcher, and you're going to deliver. So I really love doing that element of things. High risk is good, and it's where you learn your core skills and what you need to obviously mm-hmm. then go out and do a home birth kind of thing. But um, I know I just I just don't think the hospital environment that much is for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I do, yeah. But I do know I still need to be in there and every now and then have some shifts in there and do high risk, so I'm not losing those skills of knowing what to do and looking after critical ill women or patients so yeah that's pretty much wow. me now I'm just trying to find my feet and think what do I want to do now <laughs> with yeah. the both teams definitely just branching out more and more that's oh, amazing. amazing yeah so nice just get to deliver well assist and deliver babies at home and you know everything's great I think yeah, you're so you're so brave you're so Dude. brave. A lot of the midwives say that they're like, Remy, you've gone into home birth. I'm like, yeah. They're like, how can you do it? You're they're like, mm-mm. I need my emergency <laughs> bell. I need to know my doctors are next door. And I'm like, it is. It does feel like you somewhat haven't got your safety net with what you're used to. Yeah. But then yeah. I don't know, you just I just put trust in God when I'm going in there. Amen. And then, you know, Amen. in the woman. And what I notice as well is majority of the time, the amount of things that we're picking up on things if they're slightly deviating from normality before it even gets there. So you mm. have that discussion with your woman before she's in labour that we'll be monitoring so many things that if I do feel that something's deviating from normality or maybe you need to be in a hospital setting just because something, you know, you kind of get, like nurses get, you just get that intuition or that vibe that mm. something's not quite right. And I just, yeah. especially when you know you're at home, far from the hospital, as soon as I get that, I'm trying to figure out what it is. And, and mm. working with me, I'm just not too comfortable with what's, what the process or what's going on and talking with the partner and just seeing and just letting them know I am thinking about maybe. Okay, good. To, yeah, and some women do have that, oh, I'm not ready yet, can we give it more time and this, that and the other? And I think that's when as well you have to let them know, okay, this is the risk and why I'm suggesting it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can give you a little bit more time because I never want to be forceful and be like, well, we have to do this now. Mm. but if you're understanding why I'm telling you to do this then make that decision and, and weigh up the risk I'm saying this because you know baby or or your clinical picture and that's what I would think we should go in now kind of thing and then someone say okay can we give another hour another five minutes I'm saying you know work with me maybe 30 minutes not a whole hour yeah. let's see if, if, it, oh, yeah. you know, if things can get better if I can do some environmental things to maybe get things changing and yeah so 
it's good you go where you've got anything. I always feel like it's better to be safe than sorry anyway in these circumstances. So, and I think the overall goal is just overall. Yeah, overall goal is just mum and baby delivered well. Sometimes it's not the same, the environment that you plan for the home birth might not be the birth centre, but after all, you're holding baby, you're well, mum's well, that's that's all that matters. Mm. And then sometimes I'm like, next one, maybe we'll get the... (laughs) the environment but just yeah as long as you can still have a positive birthing experience even if it's not in the place where you wanted mm-hmm. then mm. you've kind of achieved something and most women they they are upset at the time and during labor and they're not happy with they've got a move but then once baby's out and they're happy that oh, I was really lovely you know I won at home <laughs> but I still it was still nice <laughs> I'm like thank god yeah so this is maybe a stupid question are all home births like water births or are they like just normal deliveries at home um but that's not a stupid question because some people think do I have to get a pool do I have to so but every woman's different you can hire a pool and have a water birth uh, Mm -hmm. but some women kind of don't feel or some women will labor in the pool but not deliver in the pool so they're just using it for like pain relief and then they might come out the pool and deliver on that their bed or their sofa or in, initially want to deliver in the pool, but then just naturally they're like, actually, no, this ain't for me. So some women get pools and some women don't even bother. They're like, no, I can just, I'll be on my bed or mm-hmm. wherever they feel comfortable. Yeah. So I how... had a delivery in the shower. But was, oh, did you? Oh, really? <laughs> almost, almost. Got her in the so... bedroom after, because she was just like, it's coming. And I was like, yep, you're right. So I was just, I just had to bring everything <laughs> in the shower. I was like, you're not going to move. <laughs> And it was just, you know, one of the stand-up showers. So, yeah. so I was trying to get behind her and get in. And oh, yeah, wow. but luckily it kind of slowed down. It gave her gave us a minute to sort of get in the bedroom quickly, just so there's more space if there was an emergency mm-hmm. and then we got her. Yeah. So how do you plan these home births? Like from when do you get called into the home? Um do you is it when there are certain um when they're dilated a certain much or mm. work um so obviously you've got the you've got first-time mums and you've got women that have had babies before so your multi-tips I try it's hard not to go off you know the parity because sometimes you think just because it's a first-time mum doesn't mean their labor is going to be hours and hours some women will progress quite quickly so it's kind of once they are in labor we say give us a call so we know that you're out there having contractions but just be mindful that you know you want them to be ideally your laboring contractions are three contractions in 10 minutes they're lasting about 45 seconds to a minute they're intense they're strong you might not be able to talk through them so like those kind of signs is when I would say you know call us and you kind of just do a triage assessment over the phone baby moving you're feeling well um you know your waters haven't broken and just seeing how they're coping with the pain so when you're at home there's the only thing we can bring is Entenox so the gas and air Mm-hmm. Um, and they can use mm. the water so it's kind of like how you manage oh. with your pain at the moment no it's you know it's painful but I can manage I'm walking around or I'm using my TENS machine or I'm okay so some women might call when their pain increases so we'll come out assess and then do an examination and just see if they're dilated or not so it's kind of when they are feeling that they need us mm-hmm and after that assessment over the phone so it's kind of like when you're because some women will call and they're like actually I don't feel like I need you to come out yet but I just want you to know that they are regular they're often but I'm coping well enough that you don't have to come out and assess me I think I can do it a bit more with like my partner or on my own and then when they call back you kind of 
you can sometimes hear the change in behavior as well so like I'm going to come out and see and see what's going on so it's kind of Mm. your triage assessment and how Mm. the woman's feeling some women just need that reassurance because it's their first time and they haven't gone through this before so for them it's like I think something's happening or I'm feeling a lot of pressure and it's just going out to say okay I can come out and we can just assess and see what's going on sometimes they're not in labor but I think they just feel reassured that you've come out listen to them Mm done that assessment they can be more okay so I've still got a bit long to go yeah yeah but try and eat have a warm bath maybe sleep and just you know breathe through and and then call me if it does get start to pick up or get more painful or anything like that Mm. and I'm guessing like your shift patterns are like 24 7 like normal because obviously we can't really say (laughs) baby's coming between the hours of nine and five (laughs) yeah (laughs) so we still do the 12 hour shifts um, but how our model works, um, so at the moment we're trialling a model for three months where it's um, your uncle kind of for 24 hours, so your uncle during the day and uncle during the night, but there'll be two of us, so sometimes I'll be, in the day I'll be first on call with a second and then the night she'll be first and I'll be second, um, which is, which is I prefer that way of working, before we was kind of in the unit maybe helping with them until we're called out, mm-hmm. but then it kind of felt like we was doing two too much work so we're helping with you guys yeah. and then if we have at home, then we're also going yeah so it's kind of like so when did I even break actually <laughs> or yeah. when did I switch off so then it kind of felt like um it's hard to prioritize our women at home and in the community because yeah. we're also looking after women potentially in the unit as well um but it's yeah 12 hour shifts and they're okay they're not too bad there hasn't been where we've been out for 24 hours touch wood so that's <laughs> hopefully that doesn't happen yeah so I was gonna say I've found that so I'm doing my health visiting course at the moment and um I've found that with the the black maternity scandal and with COVID a lot of women are choosing to labor at home um more so Mm -hmm. than anything and a Mm. lot of women are becoming very holistic in their maternity care and I think the more they're educating themselves the more they are wanting to do things um, in their own environment they're wanting to have less mm-hmm. drugs less intervention um, but have you found that you've seen an increase in home births it's funny I get asked a lot I get asked that question a lot but because I joined in July um it's hard to see if there's an increase because of COVID because I kind mm-hmm. of joined at the end of the first and uh, yeah so but our statistics are kind of um a slight increase but not really however when I'm asking so when I'm booking women I'm like what made you you know come to home birth what's your interest and things and they are kind of like well I don't really like the hospital and some of them Mm. do remember um mention corona the hospital environment a lot and some women have just had previous home births just want another one or it's recommended from a friend so it it's a mixture but I do feel like it's slightly there is more um first time mum saying they would like a home birth slightly based Mm. on more of the coronavirus and wanting to be at home I think what I found interesting is a lot of women don't really know that that's an option like they do but they feel like you've got to have specific criteria potentially and obviously Mm. we have guidelines that we would like and recommend that your pregnancy is low risk without some risk factors for you to have a home birth however you have the right to choose where you would like to birth and it's our duty to still support you with that even when you do come with risk factors Mm. and sometimes that's challenging to say because you know I'm meant to be recommending you not to have 
the baby at home because of your risk. However, someone like, but I really want to have my baby at home. Like, okay, well, let's let's work together and see what how we can provide that care. So you know mm-hmm. you've got this risk. Let's speak with the doctor. Let him know you still want that care and then provide that care for you anyway. So I think it's just women just need to know that that is an option for them. And mm. although at times it might not be recommended because of their risk, if that's something that you want, then, you know, we can support you in that as long as you are aware that certain things potentially could happen because of your risk factors. And if if you feel like if you've told me that, then I'm not going to be safe at home or you're not feeling safe at home, then yeah. So mm. <laughs> then come into the hospital. But if you feel like you're still going to be feel safe and feel comfortable and be in control and be able to, neighbor then we should be able to support that so well have you um have you seen an ink well not an increase or like a rise in specific races go opting more for a home birth um or is it like just a mixture but i've had uh, it's a mixture but it's funny because they mentioned that um, when we had a meeting at one point they mentioned that they wanted more you know black women to opt for home birth and there was not but I we found that we're booking a lot of black women for home birth and there's there's a lot on our caseload we have a mm-hmm. mixture of black Asian white women there is a mixture so I wouldn't say there's more white than black or more black than white I think it's a good balance okay and then it kind of comes down to you know women that have had babies before that and have had home births before mm-hmm. that they will just once they have enough of like, oh yeah I'm doing a home birth I've had one already everything went fine why would I then stop going to the hospital so they kind of start off how they mean to go on and they all continue do you those and this I might be playing devil's advocate but do you maybe find those who are at home are a bit more relaxed in regards to the pregnancy and the whole delivery than those that deliver at the hospital mm, are they a bit more relaxed in terms, the women at the hospital, they know they have the safety net there, but they're still a bit more anxious and that's why they've gone to the hospital instead, whilst those at home are just a bit more relaxed with the whole with the whole giving birth thing. Yeah. So I hope I answer this for you. But I think so women at home, they are more relaxed because they know that maybe they don't have access to pain relief. So they kind of really want to control their breathing be in an mm-hmm. environment of aromatherapy, music, calmness. You always will mm-hmm. enter a home and a home with a level of calm. You're like, okay, I've got to make sure, you know, come in with calmness. And I think women in the hospital, they're still relaxed, but I think they've gone into hospital because that's where they feel safe because they know they have yeah. access to certain things if they need it. Mm-hmm. So yeah. they can still have an element of relax and everything, but you are in a clinical environment. You know, you've got your bright lights, you can hear the beepings, you can... Mm. hear probably a scream next door so it's the environment isn't actually calm for them but Mm. they are calm and relaxed because they feel safe in the hospital and your women at home you've got the calmer environments and naturally they're more calmer and relaxed as well so it's just different personal experience I think yeah I have another question I'm kind of dwindling off slightly off the topic a bit but are birthrights explained to the expectant mother? Good question. <clears throat> because yeah. I've come across um, like a few pages on Instagram that are very much, you need to know your birthrights to know what X, Y, Z. But then is this ever shared with the expectant mother or does it just come down to the midwife or do we just have I to think, Google? Yeah, I think a lot of like birth education 
should come from the midwife because women don't know mm-hmm. does it not really um and I think a lot of our women that know their birthrights are you know they're the ones that are kind of called all challenging or you know yeah. Like yeah. these women are so they're, they're difficult women and I'm kind of, and unfortunately uh you know when you're in that kind of environment you fall in and you know you, like we mentioned before you get the handover now oh, this is a woman that's slightly difficult to them. and then when you go to them you kind of think that they're going to be difficult but it's yeah. then I've something to know so, no, you just know what what yeah your rights I, are yeah you're not like you're not being difficult yeah. yeah and it's like that is that not what we want when you're pregnant exactly. for you to know what you need to do for your body what you can what yeah your birthrights and a woman that knows what you know I'm pregnant okay so I've done this reading I've done that reading I've done this and that it's education for yourself and mm. so you know what you're happy with and what you want I think that's it's great uh, that you've took it upon yourself to do it and then you've mm. come to us and we're discussing it and you know we're having we're building that relationship it's okay this is the kind of things you want and I can support you with that and I don't think we are given a lot of birthrights because like you mentioned there's a lot of posts and other campaigns that are giving the women the birthrights and none of them they're like I didn't know this I didn't know that I had that option I thought I had to have that I thought I did have to have that and it's because again some some of us are wording (coughs) we're wording things wrong and making women feel like they have to have certain things rather than giving them the choice. So then mm. when they're reading a couple mm. of stuff, it's it's a shame because they're like, oh, I didn't actually have to have that. I have the right to say no to that. I can decline that. I didn't know. Yeah. And that can be sometimes disappointing and it affects their, their pregnancy and labour. The birthright, like birthing rights. I, I don't even have any clue about this. Mm. So it's really interesting to actually know that there is such a thing as that. Mm. There's a really good... Um, there's a really good website. I think it's the Ames, Ames, um, that has that. It really does go through women's birthrights and you know what they're entitled to and what they what they can say no to and a lot of support on there and links for women that you know want to do something, not want to do something different, but want to understand what they are entitled to and what they don't have to do and things like that, which is really good. Cool. I'll definitely link that to the post because mm, yeah. as you I'll said it, it's, it's kind of stuff like that where it makes you think is that why we've had to have the five times more campaign is that why we've mm-hmm. had to have a channel core program about it was short only 30 minutes but again we've had to have something highlighting where things are going wrong because we're not having communication mm. we're not having open honest dialogue about the disparities that are going on in maternity health you know yeah. and like you said we should be champion championing women who want to be educated and want to know things but yeah it seems as if the NHS just wants to give and just accept in some regards mm. and we're in a generation where when we have children or people that we know are having children people are going to question a lot and ask questions and be inquisitive mm-hmm. you know why are you doing that can we do something else yeah. And I think a lot of professionals are not used to that, especially if they're old school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, they almost take it as disrespect, like you're challenging mm-hmm. or don't you think I, I know what I'm doing? But mm-hmm. I guess us who are, shall I say, younger and fresher into the industry of health, we're more used to, if a, mom did, a mother didn't ask me questions, I'll be worried. Yes, like, right. I'll yeah. I'd be concerned. You know, if I'm doing mm-hmm. stuff to her baby, and I've not explained to her, oh, I'm doing the Hillprick test to check for, um, you know, I'm doing a newborn blood spot. I'm checking for these conditions. 
if she just if I just took her baby's leg and started pricking the baby's leg and she didn't ask me why I'd be a bit yeah, like you're that sensitive like, what are you doing yeah <laughs> exactly like she's very detached from the baby she's not even in any way concerned um but you're right there's a lot of things that people don't know an example I met a mum in the neonatal unit who didn't know she could deliver anywhere she wanted she thought because this is her local hospital she has to deliver here and yeah. I was like no you can deliver wherever you want like it's not a given you have to deliver in this place mm-hmm. but it's very minute details that women do not know about and I guess the question is mm-hmm. is why and how how can that be changed I think it's also more so where are we getting this information from because for example if you if you are a first-time mother if you don't or don't have like a health background like we do or anything like that how mm. would you know if like you know the yeah. other people around you have only known that you know for example you can only deliver you should only deliver with air quotes in like your local hospital who's to tell them otherwise if they're not also questioning the healthcare professionals and asking is there a chance I could you know, deliver at St Thomas's or UCLH or, you know, in all these different hospitals, do I have to go to wherever my local is? Mm. It's like, how it's do you, true. how do you know? And if these are things that you just won't know until, you know, the time yeah. comes and you've really booked somewhere and yeah. all that jazz. And I think when you're, I think that's where it becomes challenging on our side slightly, well, some some midwives will find it challenging or unfortunate mm-hmm. it's kind of when when they have decided to come somewhere so every trust has obviously their own like their own service so um when once you book with that trust it's like only they know your pregnancy details so when you go to another one they have no information of you mm-hmm. and then it becomes said so for them you've come let's say you're 30 something weeks but you're like I want to deliver here it's it's a nice hospital my other children born here whatever the case may be and it's kind of oh but you haven't booked here and we don't know your antenatal care. Yeah. We don't know what's going on. It's, kind of, it's not that much of a because they just transfer the care. It's been you've got the proof of the notes, but it's always seen of like a, a hiccup or a hindrance. So if women are aware of that, they probably say, "Well, I've got to obviously, obviously, I've got to stay where I've been booked." But ideally, yeah. you can transfer, you can move around. But like you said, yeah, where do they get that information to to know that that's possible? It's See, family, I, isn't it? And <laughs> yeah, a lot of information, whether it's good or bad, is like other people's experiences friends family oh my friend told me that this though and that and there's not really for first-time mums I don't think there's something that's advertised or directed for them to go and find information on their pregnancy from start mm-hmm. to finish just a, just a, a platform but we're getting much more now anyway but mm. yeah a platform where you mm. could go and be like okay I'm pregnant I'm not gonna have to run straight to the GP and I'm pregnant and do everything I could actually just read up and, and get information and what what steps should I be taking how should I be eating how yeah what's the process or what yeah what can I choose yeah and I think a lot of people also well a lot of I wouldn't say women but I might be wrong but a lot more women are taking more information from what they see online whether it's social media or what else looking at mm-hmm. I guess other influencers who may also be pregnant at the time and seeing okay I may not know what hospital yeah. they've gone to but they've gotten this level of care so I want also <laughs> access that level of care mm-hmm. without truly realizing like maybe they've gone private or maybe there's been other things you know they've got a doula or other things or other people involved mm-hmm. in their care which is helping have you seen like an increase in people having doulas around or... oh I love doulas you know I do <laughs> I must say they are so I do love a doula <laughs> you know, because they're just so like for, for the women that I've seen that have a doula they're just they're just that 
I can't even, I don't even know what word to describe for them, but they are, they're very supportive. They empower the women and they just do, they're right. When I, when I look after a woman, she has a doula, as much as I love to give myself as well and do the whole, the support and stuff, when I know that they have a doula, I think that part of me steps back and I've become slightly a bit more clinical because mm. once someone, don't want too much um woman doesn't want too much but everyone's saying you're doing well you're doing it's kind of like they just yeah. one voice and yeah. the women usually build that rapport from early and they have that oh yeah my dude they've become friends and they they know each other and they've they've really spoken about things so when one has to do it I'm saying okay that's your emotional support that's your strength mm. and obviously you have the partner as well depending on how active they want to be so mm-hmm. I say that's so that role for me I kind of bring it down a notch and I get slightly a bit more clinical and I just let them do and I think sometimes it can help because if you do feel like you've got to do a bit more things you can't give that you can't always give that um so much of that support in terms of like massaging the back and just standing there and massaging or or, or just doing things that are very hands-on because maybe sometimes you've got to listen to the baby you've got to set up your space you've got to make sure this and that just pre-thinking and make sure everything's ready and the doula really does help um, so I find that dinners are lovely I don't think a lot more people have had them there is sometimes a specific clientele that has doulas yeah because um, they're not because I know they're not available on the, on the NHS so you do need so you will have yeah. to fund it yourself and I know sometimes they can sometimes be quite dear Mm-mm. yeah and I think um it's, it's only usually if they're like, oh my friends are doing so she's happy to come and support me whether they they pay or whatever it's different mm. so I think a lot of women that have had doulas is mainly because they know of a doula or mm. for a friend and then they've, they've just said oh yeah actually I had a doula she's lovely I'll give you her number so it's kind of through connection slightly rather than they've actually just said I want to get a doula don't know anything about it most women don't really have one it's very very few I would say it's affluence I would say um I've experienced a doula in a neonatal intensive care setting and oh my goodness I nearly killed her Um, (laughs) because she just got in the way of everything Mm. um yeah so I can I find them holistically fantastic but clinically they would become very frustrating yeah Um, I do understand I do understand that I do when it's in a diff- when it's in a clinical setting it's hot it's kind of like you kind of clash a little bit because they are so holistic so now I'm doing home birth and they're great for it because yeah it's not a clinical setting but sometimes yeah. when no. I've had an experience of them being in the hospital and you are slightly more a bit clinical now so you really are looking at your numbers and your your limits and stuff and you're trying to let women know and then have a they're they're still on the holistic and you kind yeah. of like I'm not trying to take away the holistic um principles on, on what you lot are doing here I still want the woman to have the best birthing outcome however you kind of got to stand back a little bit because it's like it's more of a high risk management than the low mm. risk management yeah but I'm still happy for you to give the breathing and yeah to do certain things but you just gotta let us have our time when we have to be a bit more clinical exactly. slightly. they're they're very yeah. passionate I think doulas mm. are very very passionate and I know like the experience I had with, with my doula shall I say with my patient was she'd obviously been the doula, I think, for the previous pregnancy. Um, so they had a very good rapport, a very good relationship. Um, but this was mum's first premature baby. So, of course, things are a bit different. Mm-hmm. And baby wasn't so prem. I would say, like, 32, 33 weeks. So just small, obviously, still trying to establish breastfeeding. Um, and, yeah, she just, it was like a push and pull. You know, I'm giving this information 
And then the mum is quoting back to me, but the doula said this, but the doula said that, but my doula's going to do this, or my doula's coming at one o'clock. And it got to a point where it was like, okay, now our our relationship is going to break down because the doula is taking centre stage. And I think for me, I was very much like, I don't mind you having the doula, but while you're in here, I am your source of support. Like, I'm the nurse looking after you. I don't mind if she comes in and helps you with your breastfeeding or whatever you need her for, fine. But she needs to work with me then because we're both looking after you. Um, yeah, that's And true. that's what it was. It's yeah, that level of like respect as well from the doula. Exactly. Yeah. To come in um, and be like, it's kind of come in and more of be like, talk to you and be like, okay, so what's going on? And, and get the information yeah. so how we can help her rather than exactly. I'm yeah. not against what you're doing. Don't make me feel like I'm the, the, um, Vic, I'm the, the perpetrator like I'm not the one trying to yeah. be horrible exactly we're trying to work together to, to support yeah and you're helping me out I've got four babies to look after so if you want to help her exactly and her breastfeeding and whatnot <laughs> that's fantastic for me I've got another three exactly. waiting for me you know so that's not a problem but as you said it's working <laughs> exactly. together in that sense and you might find that yeah the holistic and clinical might marry at one point and work really really well yeah. mm-hmm. I think it can if we in, if we work together, like you said, it can work together, but it's just somehow they want to see it as different, especially if you're in the hospital setting. So they're not, they're not understanding. They're not that like we are, but this is this is what it is now, though. So you can mm-hmm. you have to try to, yeah, you have to try and tailor it to what it is now. Sure. So sense. what type of clientele usually get doulas? Money, 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 money. <laughs> They're expensive. Like, yeah. They're super expensive. Like, like Remy said, unless you have a friend who's a doula, yeah, a lot of people will not have one. And how the mate, I think in my experience, this um, it has been middle class white women that have had doulas who I've looked after. Um, but then again. It could be the environment you're in, like the the borough you're in. So mm-hmm. different, obviously, different areas might have different. Their different clientele might have doulas, but the the area that I'm in, which is more of the south side of the river, is more. It has been more of like middle class white women, and, and they're the ones that you that go to NCT groups. They're the ones that engage in antenatal classes from the very beginning. Yeah, I would um, say they do engage. Yeah yeah they're very so, um, i'm just looking at prices and it's saying a birth yeah. doula support packet will usually cost from 800 to 2000 pounds postnatal doulas usually charge 14 to 25 an hour depending on their level of experience and i was out here screaming money 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 the link. that Let is me be a, a lot as well <laughs> make your money <laughs> as well for the part time <laughs> wow oh, wow what a oh, side hustle. You know their price range. Okay. See, this again just puts me back into why are we working for the NHS? <laughs> I know. I it's know. crazy. But see, it's like a maternity nurse. They're costly yeah. as well. They're really costly. Yeah. Um, and again, those are privileged things that privileged people benefit from. You know, having a maternity nurse for like yeah. the first six weeks of their child's life. Um Do they actually exist? Yeah, yeah of course they do. What's the difference? What, what's a maternity nurse? So a maternity it's, nurse will be at home with the mum. They might like help with like, yeah. Maybe. So they're at home like to support mum with breastfeeding. They might do the nappies. They might teach mum 
out of position and attach onto the breast. They might give mum a break. So, mm-hmm. so for example, um, I've had clients where mum doesn't sleep with the baby at night. So mum will do the last feed at nine o'clock and then the maternity nurse will take the baby to her room and bring baby really? back at seven. But yeah. isn't the maternity nurse then building the bond yeah, but... with the baby? Well, well, I guess when you have money, you know, many things can happen. Some, yeah, some elements of that, yeah. Definitely, yeah. because feeding is where you bond with your baby the most exactly and like it's it's very close a connection so I've, and the nighttime babies feed like there's no tomorrow mm-hmm. <laughs> so again yeah that can be part of the bit that you're missing but again like you said when you've got money and you ain't got the time to do the night feed because you want your morning it. to be refreshed Fresh. and mm-hmm. this is that it service. when money enter mm, it's all possible <laughs> <laughs> And then it could be why certain outcomes are the way they are, maybe because certain clientele have that um, opportunity to get certain things, and some of us don't. Very but true. Then, and you know, talking about that now thinks, uh, makes me think about okay, being in a clinical setting, talking about these mums that are five times more likely to die black women. Mm-hmm. And it makes you think when we're in that room and someone's delivering, like your partner who's there to support you and that could be the father it could be your sister it could be your mother do they know what they can advocate for you do they know mm. what they can and can't say or do they know how to escalate if they're concerned because you might be in pain and you can't speak for the laboring mother Probably um, not. Yeah. yeah and you might find maybe our counterparts who are not of of color might know what to say because they've clued up and read up on it and educated themselves on those kind of things mm. and that's why they can speak up but then at the same time you also think why is that you know yeah and to even add on that um some women have their partner where it's in their birth plan they say when I'm sort of going through my labor and pain advocate for me so they've already sat down with their partner and said listen this is what I don't want this is what I do want if they try to say cesarean I don't want it this that and the other so when we're now in that setting and we're asking questions sometimes the woman's so zoned out she's like this is now my I've given permission for my partner my next of kin my husband to be my advocate and they're advocating mm. for me and then sometimes it's challenging for for like maybe doctors or midwives because it's kind of like no we need to talk to you directly but she's like but I've um, I'm agreeing with him he's just like he's speaking for me and then it can sometimes be a bit challenging when they're mm. trying to get things consented and things and the, they kind of feel like the partner's speaking for the woman and not letting her speak but in reality they've had that conversation and they're on the same board so it's kind of um yeah battling so is there anything that. kind of reinforce this so say if I come to one of my mid midwifery appointments and say look during the childbirth if I'm in pain I would like my partner to speak for me is there anything to kind of reinforce and secure that not that I'm aware of, because it's it's kind of challenging because you have to get consent from the person who you're going to do the mm-hmm. activity for. So I don't know how it's with you guys, because obviously it's children and neonatals and they can't consent. So I don't know yeah. how um, and you guys chime in, is how yes. you would get consent for the children and the babies to look out look after but for us on our side it's kind of like they can advocate but oh my wife were actually like this she didn't want that she didn't want this and it's good information to know but then we sort of still have to go to the partner we just need to hear her say it as well just so Mm -hmm. it's it's it can't come back on us if we've done something against her which actually I didn't want that because during labor 
she might have said to her partner, I don't want a pajero, I don't want a pajero. Now the pain sort of hit her at 10 and she's like, I want it. But she might have not communicated that and she might have thought, oh, they didn't give it to me or um, we've just said because your partner said you didn't want it. It's not, it's not accountable really. So you have to kind of get that information from her as well as, but I don't know if there's anything where you could like sign and let him do all the speaking. I don't really know. But how no, is I, it kind of, I agree with you. Because I think for children, mm-hmm. no, I know for children, usually the parent who has parental responsibility will be the ones to gain consent. Um, mm-hmm. However, if you're of an age, whether that be 13 and you're deemed, I always get this wrong, either Fraser, Fraser slash Gillett competent, then the, mm-hmm. the child in question can make that decision. And also if it's in the, if it's medically in the best interest best of the child, then, oh, then we can always override that. Yeah. But I think it's quite, it must be very difficult for a labouring mother because like you're saying, if your pain, your pain is currently 11 out of 10 and you're going through it and you've really spoken to your birth partner and said, I want X, Y, Z. And, you know, you've got your coping mechanisms. You're trying to do the best you can. And that person's mm. advocating for you. But it's true. You want to hear that that mother say, I want this. So I yeah. don't want that. Because the last thing you need is someone to say, I didn't say that. And then you've given me X, Y, Z. And that's something else that we don't want. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it kind of gets difficult as well when it's a situation, when it's a bit more crucial and you're like, mm. we're recommending this right now is, you know, for the safety of you and your baby. But that's not what she wanted. That's not what she wanted. It's that we totally understand that. But it's just that it's now deviated or this is the situation we're in. So we really have to discuss this. And really, you know, understand what we're saying to you and why we're recommending it. And it's not that we're trying to take away what you want, never. But this is what we we can see. This is what we're reading. And your clinical picture is this now. So we have to change that mindset from, like you said, maybe being holistic or maybe being at home. But we're now here and we want to deliver the baby the best way possible, the safest way for you and the baby. So we have to make certain decisions. It's kind of, we need you to have consent and say certain things mm-hmm. so it doesn't sort of come back like we didn't have that permission. Mm. Do you feel feel in regards to women's rights, do you feel there are certain women that are listened to more? And I'm talking about race here. Do you feel there are certain Mm. races that are listened to more that are not listened to? Who do you feel from your experience, you know, gets the better end of, of, of treatment or... Yeah. Do you know what's funny? Because I think like we mentioned it before, sometimes it's um you see certain midwives that whether the woman is black, white, Asian, it's just how they are. So mm-hmm. they may not listen or really take on board anything that it doesn't matter what colour the woman is, that's just how they practice. Might be a bit more harsh, not that much compassion, a bit abrupt when they're talking. So whoever's sort of in their care might just get that, whether they're black, white, Asian whatever um I I can't say in my experience because because we work autonomously as well I just know that I give my care 100% to whatever color you are and I'm always going to listen to you if you're telling me your baby's coming right baby's coming we'll get everything out and I'll do everything and then you know I might examine your one centimeter but I've listened to you so you feel confident that when you might say again everything you're here I can't always think oh like I know I don't know your body you're telling me something Mm -hmm. I've got to listen Mm -hmm. so I can't say oh no you're only one or just your first baby you can't be ready yet you just came in two hours ago you're fine because that's when 
that's when women don't feel listened to. And I think that's what I notice a lot, that mm. you use the textbook to, to, to tell the woman that she's not in labour, to tell her that you can't be in pain right now. You've just started, but pain's subjective. And that's the thing that I noticed on the um, on the documentary that they, I don't know who said it, but that black women can tolerate pain more. Yeah, it wasn't that's, really, yeah, that's that an older study. That, that made me so angry. I think that's been that's an yeah. older study from I want to say about a hundred years ago that you know when yeah, when exactly. life was very different and people were just testing on black people for the sake of it, mm, um, exactly. And like they were doing all those experiments on black women and black people, and they weren't giving any pain relief, but because yeah. you know you're doing the best you can yeah. to try and withhold it. It's yeah. been taken as, you know, oh, you know, you're not in that much pain. And yeah. I'm not going to, I'm glad that Dan's brought this up. And I'm not going to say, this is also might sound a bit weird, but I think it's also quite similar with, with people that have conditions like sickle cell that I've seen, like in mm-hmm. A&E, like there's lots of people that come mm-hmm. in with crisis and people are like, oh no, they're not in pain. They just want the morphine and things mm-hmm. like that. And it's oh like, but gosh. you don't, yeah. and any anytime this happens, I get very angry and mm-hmm. do my best in advocating because I'm like you don't have sickle cell mm-hmm. you don't mm-hmm. or have a condition that you know causes a lot of pain mm-hmm. how can you determine how much pain someone's in if someone's been at yeah. home yeah. writhing in pain like, how dare the... you tell me I'm exactly. not in pain this mm. is it exactly to you, to you, yeah you might hit your head and foot that's minor but for me my head's hurting I'm in pain thank it's you subjective. Yeah. And it, shouldn't, it shouldn't be ignored it, should, it, it shouldn't, shouldn't be, be questioned. questioned. It shouldn't be questioned at all. Yeah, but I think I because think of that old study, has its limits. So definitely, and I think because of that old study that people see, still seem to be living by, people are just like, oh yeah, black women or co- coloured women, inverted commas, don't yeah. feel as much pain as like their white counterparts. Whereas yeah. that or can't the, be the same. Tolerate it a bit more, and I think that's yeah. what's just sort of cut, like just swimming through the institution. Like it's just there. No, not always acted upon but it's just that that thing that's just come down for all these years and it's just still there that somehow we can manage it a bit more or you know when we say we're in pain I'm sure they can go a bit longer or but why, but why? if a woman says I want this for this don't sell her and enough I think so women have like when they are transitioning to like your second stage you're fully dilated and probably pushing the behavior does change they are a bit more I can't do this um, I need stronger because they are changing like the, you're going into that second stage where you're about to deliver the baby and I think sometimes it can be at that point where women want the epidural and then as clinicians you're kind of like I can see the heads come in you wouldn't even be able to sit still for the epidural and, and be mm. in that position so I never want you to feel like I'm not trying to give you the pain relief but at this point it's it's kind of too late and then you yeah. never want to feel like I'm not listening to I understand you're in that pain and I'm always trying to say it's because your baby's coming the baby is coming you've done it now you're here I'm like you just just continue and some women will be like oh, but I wanted the epidural <laughs> but afterwards everything's been fine but it's like but I didn't want that that's kind of reassuring them that it wasn't that we was tr- not trying to give you the analgesia it's just at that mm-hmm. point your baby's head was almost there you delivered once you said you wanted it you delivered in the next 20 minutes you by the time we got the anesthetist got you in position did you would have delivered anyway so sometimes mm. as well it's that battle of knowing when a woman's transitioning and actually because she's about to give birth and go into that second stage or is it because she does want the pain relief and we should respect that get everything set up and give it to her even if 
she might be delivering soon but you've maybe examined and you know there's still a bit more time or you haven't seen no external signs that the baby's coming she said I want it now because some women say oh but you you're almost there yeah he said but if she wants it just what's the harm in giving yeah. it to her because she's asked for it so it's kind of like don't ignore don't ignore it if they are yeah. saying that they're in pain because I remember watching the documentary there was a lady that said that she had a cesarean and for about 12 hours later she kept saying that you know I'm in pain like she was if I'm correct she said she was like floating in and out of consciousness and her and her husband Mm. kept expressing it and expressing it and expressing it and the midwives or recovery nurses who I I don't know where she was at this moment in time just kind of fobbed her off and it wasn't until someone had done a scan and found like there was like six liters of blood no way which for all of us we know that if there's some sort of internal bleeding you really don't have that long life-threatening but it's like at all I guess it's, it's just from what from what I watched the lady did say that her husband was advocating for her and was saying to her like you know she doesn't seem right she she keeps asking for pain relief and that they it taken 12 hours for them to give her like the antidote to the morphine in case that she was having a reaction to that mm-hmm. but it's like why did she have to go for that length of time mm. without having yeah and also if he wasn't there exactly what would have happened yeah. she could have passed away and then you know he's now got to th- bring up three three children so she was in and out of- during this pain and no one thought wait hold on this is not normal it's kind of like people are like well, you're gonna be in pain you've had a c-section exactly like, you're yeah feel this because you've yeah. had that and it's like and again it's it's still but you're ignoring the pain that she's expressing like why don't yeah it's not gonna it's not gonna take you more than two minutes to still explore where her pain's coming from because even if she does say it's from the scar and you're like, okay well that's normal give her the pain relief or she could be saying actually the pain's not even there it's in my head it's in my chest yeah. and that's yeah it's different so even though she's in pain have you explored her pain to actually say well where is it actually and is it a common symptom to have after a cesarean to have the pain where you're feeling it how it's feeling is it normal for you to be slightly drowsy in and out what anesthesia yeah. did we actually give you for you to be feeling actually like this and that's not always done which is a shame as well but I also feel like that also comes down to the compassion of the practitioner and the mm-hmm. care yeah. they have for their job because the way I see it is if you're no longer com- if you're no longer passionate about your job you shouldn't do it anymore because yeah. We can't mm-hmm. replicate. We can't replicate Remy. We can't replicate all these amazing midwives. Everyone is individual, so we don't know who you're going to encounter when you have a baby. And you only hope you have somebody who cares and somebody who yeah. wants to advocate for you and somebody who wants you to have a positive birth experience. If you have somebody who is mm-hmm. going to fob you off, never say yeah. You know, someone that's going to be like, "Well, you're going to be fine. You just had a baby. You know, what do you expect?" Kind of thing. Or I've, been, I've encountered midwives where I've taken the baby back to mum from NICU and mum needs to breastfeed. And she's had a C-section, so she can't lean into the cot to get lift her baby. And I felt worried to leave the baby with her because I'm worried that she's not going to lean over to, to feed her child. And, yeah, and you can see the annoyance on the midwife's face when the bell is going. And you're thinking, but no, hold on, this is your job. This is your role. This is what you chose to do. And if you're no longer showing up and choosing to do mm. this don't do it anymore do something else yeah I, I see this as you know what it's That's not just in maternity I think it's if you're an inpatient anywhere like you can see that sometimes when you well, I don't know if you guys have ever been impatient but it's sometimes if you ring a bell 
and you're literally waiting for like 20 30 minutes for someone to just come and all you want is paracetamol or something like that I think just like you said if you don't have or if you're not working in line with the six C's I'm not going to say them all now because I don't remember them all but um (laughs) but regardless if you're not working in line with the six C's how are you able to deliver that care whether it is for a laboring mother or a postnatal mother or just anyone who comes into your Mm -hmm. care Mm-hmm. that's the thing if you don't if you're not coming to work to really work just don't bother that's it and what's funny is like with nurses and you know or adult nurses or even pe- pediatricians you have more than one woman you're looking after mm-hmm. I guess still in postnatal with postnatal midwives they do have more than one and that's the core but even when you see it with like um others you know you're only looking after one woman and you, you you're already rolling your eyes when she rings the bell so what, what else are you gonna do you just exactly. Yeah, exactly it's not yeah like and you're on you shift for a reason well? yeah sometimes I do like when I was on the unit I would do other things and I'm like why don't you why don't you get the healthcare assistant to do it that's their job and it's like because no. I feel very uncomfortable mm. sometimes going to ask someone to do a job that I can do when do I'm not doing anything whether it's my role or not exactly if I'm not doing if I've got if I've got other things to do I've got to prioritize maybe medication or something else then obviously I'd like do you mind just checking yeah. on that woman maybe support with breastfeeding but I'm never gonna sit down and then ask someone else oh can you do it if I'm not doing anything mm-hmm. and when I sometimes see um other midwives that might be, oh do you mind doing that I'm like, you could do it you know like, like but they kind of oh, they need to do something as well and it's like but I like to know that yeah. what I've asked to do done and I'll only really know mm-hmm. if I do it exactly. yeah. someone to do this is it are they confident to really do it they're really going to do it in a way that's you know going to get the job done effectively da, da, da. let me just go and do it <laughs> it's fine this is and a... think about it as well Remy the time you take to ask her you could have gone to the mum this is exactly it. exactly and found like... out what it is and majority of the time when they ring they want a midwife anyway this is it <laughs> fine and then they come back and back. they want to speak with you this is it <laughs> when you could have just saved your legs anyway and and just gone truly it's all about timing yeah. as well I think time is so important when you're in a clinical setting or just in general if you're a health professional I think timing is important and that that those few seconds or those few minutes can be crucial so it's just not mm-hmm. something to be underestimated or you know fobbed off to someone else definitely and I think it's such an important time in a woman's life mm-hmm. and also quite I'd say quite similarly to like our pediatric patients that things literally just happen yeah and yeah. you know if you're not on the ball or you're not checking or you're not keeping your eye the last thing you want to do is come in and see a woman prof- profusely bleeding or a woman or a child who's gone into cardiac arrest, or anyone, should I say, who's then suddenly gone into cardiac arrest. Because then, what are you going to say then? Oh, I'm sorry that I left you too long. And then start, you know, Mm -hmm. your compressions and your your other stuff. But it's like, you've waited too long. You wanted to sit down and have a chat with Mm -hmm. like one of your other colleagues when this person was calling. Mm -hmm. You don't know what they were calling for, what was going to escalate and happen. And then we end up with like, Mm all these statistics because people seem to feel like you know people can hold on that little bit longer Mm. yeah so overall what did you guys think of the documentary what was your maybe final thoughts about it I I can't 
one I wish it was a bit longer I think half an hour was not enough to truly go into the nitty-gritty of what wasn't really half an hour we had long ad breaks this is it yeah my point exactly like this is a subject that needs a lot more looking into because it's highlighting these things that have been going on for a long time that people have been speaking about Mm -hmm. and nothing has been actioned and now people want to action it one it deserves more telly time but also I think it was definitely a good eye opener um and not saying these aren't things that we don't know but I think it's more so the magnitude that we don't know because you know people always yeah, say that like, you yeah. know when when black people or asian people whoever goes into hospital they're not going to come back out xyz but mm. when you look at the actual statistics in it and you see it it's just it's quite shocking that you know it's being recognized but there's no outcome Nothing spoken about do you think it's um how can i work? do you think there's an easier answer for what 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 can be done for the statistics to decrease not an easy answer well, I know it's not nothing's really easy but do you think that would you say you know of like maybe two points that could be done to help the outcomes or something if you know where I'm trying to go with it <laughs> if I'm honest I'd say if there was probably a lot more black and other ethnic minorities working in the fields yeah but then I but then I also think mm-hmm. there's also a lot of us in the in our field yeah. already but I don't think it's in anywhere near enough because but like, I think where sorry to cut you where we work is not where my, a, a lot of us exactly. are, are high so we there's a lot of us in the field that are um nurses pediatricians midwives but when it comes to the higher job levels that maybe could change the dynamic of the workload change mm-hmm. how we were change mm-hmm. and implement on the guidelines and the policies we're not there there's not a lot exactly. of us there so the voices aren't there so it can't be changed so but yeah. they always you know they do surveys oh, what do you think what do you is that we're telling you what we think and what to change but up here they're not changing it mm. so yeah. it's like we it's like some of us we have to get up there for it to be changed so I guess yeah, yeah. you know I definitely agree yeah. and I definitely think that if there was more of us in those higher up positions it would lead to a change obviously it's not something that's going to happen overnight but the rationale mm. is there and you can see people are working towards it for better outcomes for everyone not just you know a specific clientele but it's also get into those positions because as we all know there are times that you know people think that you're not ready when you may think you're ready and it's a battle of how am I going to go up the ladder xyz am I going to stay in a place for thousands of years to only get to I don't know wherever but I think there's a lot more that needs to be done you see someone else in it and you're just like I'm better than them (laughs) <laughs> exactly oh, exactly anyway, let me not be rude <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but no it's the truth like at the end of the day we're in positions that like all of us we're in positions that if you want to do more you can flourish it will take your own research and your own putting your own time and effort into it but it is possible it's just how possible is it for us to truly get to that particular height at that at a time that's going to be yeah. crucial to help or how long will it take us? But um, I also think as well, if we are going to see a change, we need to start on the ground, which is the workforce yeah. themselves as they mm. are. Because some people don't want to be educated. Um, and I'm talking about the aunties, the seniors on those kind of environments. Mm-hmm. They don't want to be told about the statistics. They don't want to hear it. You know, they might say, well, that's just how it is. Or be quite dismissive. Oh, okay. 
Um, and mm-hmm. unfortunately, though we do have people of colour as midwives, sometimes they're the ones that oppress their fellow person as well. And mm-hmm. that can be really sad that they don't look at someone who looks like them and advocate for them even more because they know about the disparities that they face. Sometimes they're yeah. the ones telling they're the ones telling women, well, you're fine. You know, you're, you're, you can 100%. handle it. And that's something that we need to sort out internally as people of mm. colour, people that are advocating for people of colour, because Very true. someone saying, because somebody might say to you, oh, well, Diane, your midwife's black, so you're going to be fine. No, that's not the case. That. That, <laughs> she might not listen to me. She might look at me as, well, you're an African girl, you're strong. Come on, you can do this. Exactly. exactly. And, and, and then it kind of comes down to when you have that, it's like, is this going to be a woman that just looks at me as, come on, you know, back home, we know how we do it. Just push the baby out and she has less care for you. And actually the woman that isn't of colour and the woman that she's different, she feels, oh, I'm going to have to be a bit more because whatever, she might report me or complain. She's not from my culture, so she won't understand my tone, my thing. And I think sometimes it can be that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. When you asked before, when you see more of, it's hard to tell because sometimes it could just be the practitioner that, that affects the outcome not yeah. even like not what's going on it's just the practice that can affect the outcome most definitely which is why I think we mm. need to do the education even when we train midwives this needs to be spoken about this needs to be discussed this, this, is, is, mm-hmm. this is a public health issue and it's also an issue within obviously midwifery plus natal care and don't forget this care onsets the rest of their care as their child grows and their attitude towards mm-hmm. health and the service can be impacted yeah. by this first beginning that's happened do you know what, Diane, I agree with you, but I also think this is something that needs to be looked at holistically between nursing and midwifery. For example, like Remy, again, I'm not saying that you're a bad midwife, not at all, not at all, because oh, you're lovely. Because um, you get also get a lot of adult nurses or a lot of nurses who then go and retrain to be midwives. And I think this is something that needs to be instilled in them right from the get-go, right mm-hmm. from training. Like, you know, again, like the 60s are there for a reason. We should be utilising it throughout every patient not just because you know you've been in a job for 20 years that you know we're gonna go we're, we're gonna be sloppy with the care that we deliver or anything like that yeah. but I think it's something that definitely needs to be taught to everyone and also taught like what's the word taught, I want to say taught profusely but that sounds very horrible but something that's really instilled in people that it cannot just be you know just because that's how you are you also need to show the same sort of yeah. compassion to and everyone. Also, who is monitoring that? Because exactly. I feel like we set a standard. So let's say, okay, let's say, for example, we released, I don't know, the black maternity standard or we released the people of colour standard and there's a certain way you need to practice, a certain way you need to do things, a certain way you need to speak. Okay, people can attend training mm. and say they've attended, but who is checking that they're applying that? Who is ensuring that yeah, these, it, these midwives are doing this? It can't be measured. It's something, because you can't measure compassion and, you know, you no. go to interview like, oh, I'm going i'm gonna do that as soon as they get the job that's gone yeah <laughs> so it's kind of like it's so, yeah. it's so hard to measure i don't know if it's if when it's not unconscious bias is it no what's the word i'm looking for or conscious bias because you know, that also exists yeah i think something I kind of lost my train of thought now you know the point i was going for but i also think it's just like we mentioned on the culture i think as well because we're at our trust we're now running a campaign to get better outcome for black asian minority women and it's um we had sort of like a meeting there was like well what do you think we could do why do you think this is and 
you know, everyone was quiet because it's so hard. It's really hard to sort of pinpoint. Um, mm-hmm. But then I think it's important that we look at different cultures view labour and delivery and childbirth differently. Definitely. And I think, are we are we just going with what, you know, the mass here? So obviously maybe British, you know, you're white British. Are we just going with how it's viewed here and just making you know black and Asian would just fit it in this is how you got to view it because this is how it is or are we actually mm. taking the time to understand okay what does it mean for the Asian community when it comes to delivery and and childbirth because for Asians some of like the Chinese like when they're pregnant they stay at home in most of the, mm-hmm. most of the time they do stay at home and that's where they just do their pregnancy at home or after birth they don't come out for until six weeks certain things like that so certain different cultural mm. things that they have if we understand it more then maybe we can deliver better care because we understand how you view pregnancy mm-hmm. and why if we're going to make it work we we can we sort of need to adapt our care to the person this is it yeah for the yeah, yeah. You know, so it's like how do black women from different cultures so you've got um african caribbean how do they view childbirth Pregn- yes yeah, yeah how do they view childbirth how do they view pregnancy how yeah how do they because it might not be it's not that they're they might be oh some of them just have that view of I don't really need to go to hospital I feel well I'm fine and and it's not because yeah. they're not trying yeah. to do their due diligence to the, the child that they're bearing or themselves it's just because they've had like you mentioned they've had kids before everything went well obviously every pregnancy is different but it's just understanding why they might see certain things and just be oh no it's fine and then rather than being oh she's difficult now she's a problem and being no that's just how they view the pregnancy so mm-hmm. you still have that level of respect to understand okay it's not that issue it's just because they're they're a bit more maybe relaxed with pregnancy it's not their first babies where they're so caught up in what's going on and mm. those to start to just understand different and more personalized basically yeah so coming from textbook to being more personalized but then I think it's sad to think that we have to kind of reinforce this and kind of reteach people that each pregnancy and each childbirth needs to be personalized when I think Mm -hmm. that should just be standard that should just that just should be understood and there should be Mm -hmm. a mutual standing within all healthcare professionals that each care should be personalized Mm. but then I I think think the issue but then I think the issue is the reason why I feel like that has to be reiterated is because the National Health Service is very business-like and it's becoming more business-like and it's losing that individualism and that personalised approach to people. Yeah. You know, everything's about money. Everything's mm-hmm. about how many bed spaces have we got or yeah. she can't come in yet because we don't have enough space for this or we're, we're losing our touch in terms of these are people they're not numbers um and I think that's probably what's also an issue higher up they're looking at the budget and the commissioning as opposed Mm -hmm. to these are human beings with feelings and just because pregnancy is pregnancy doesn't mean it's pregnancy is the same for that one or for this mum or for that mum yeah um and it's reteaching the old schoolers who are the role models for the new ones coming in you know Mm. this is how you do this or this is why we do it like this and go and I also feel like you know we need a bit more supervision and everybody because we're all involved in some kind of care like in NICU I would go over to a delivery maybe I would go on to postnates to do something or whatever it is I need to go there and do even that working relationship even that understanding 
easily but and I think we need to mm-hmm. remove also assumptions that oh well they just know or that's just how it's supposed to be because not everyone knows that's how it's supposed to be mm-hmm. um yeah. and if you're taught bad habits you want to keep practicing them till someone told you that they're wrong you keep them also yeah. I you know what I think is quite important as well I think the new starters or maybe the junior ones in the in the first to third year maybe they should teach the ones that have been on the wards or in the clinical area for a while because even in nursing I do see a difference and I can learn a lot from the newcomers because there's there's out-of-date practice that I've learned that they probably had an update on so it's probably wise for them to also teach us to be honest but I think it's also are they going to accept this are they going to accept this to actually carry it out because yeah they can sit down and listen to this training but like Diane said you can attend all these trainings but who's going to actually make sure that you're actually following it properly yeah but then this is why I truly believe that exactly this is why I think it genuinely has to be someone who is definitely passionate within this field completely but also who's passionate in being like a practice development nurse or practice development midwife who can actually have designated time to truly improve people's practice but I also know that's also quite difficult itself because people don't want to change but Mm. somehow we've just got to break that we're just going to accept what people do and provide and want to provide better outcomes for these women definitely so so. and help the black community and the black women in childbirth and in maternity from from any type of experience what can you say can help what fundamentally is the number one thing that has to be done and asap not in a a few months time has to be done like right now i think it's people's culture and people's perception of how they think the black women or the black society want things to go. I think it's literally just asking me a question and taking my answer, not a general basic answer. Cause Mm. we're all like, for example, right now there's three of us who are black Mm. and you know, we all have different experiences and have different things that we'd want. There may be There may be similarities in what we want, but who's to say we want the exact same thing. This is it. Mm-hmm. And I'd say the same for like our white, white counterparts. Just because you're white, I'm not going to be here like, you know, you want a birth or, or saying that's exactly the same as every other white woman. That's not the case. But I think it's literally has to be people honestly listening. I was going to say that. It's so hard to pick one, but just the word listen. Just yeah. A, mm-hmm. yeah actively listening as well don't just hear and then go up you've asked me a question and you're going to go off and just give me maybe or the textbook or anything like that listen to what I'm saying to you now what Mm. I'm feeling what it is and make your decision based off of that obviously we have our guidelines to support us but if Mm. I'm telling you something that it's not just listen Mm. and take it from there but it's so hard to pick I'd also say on top of what you guys have both said it's also be honest as mm. in, if you don't know something, say, I don't know, but I'm going to find out. Mm. I'm probably the worst. I'm always sometimes like, I have no idea. Sometimes, But I say, for me, it's safe. I always, when I say I don't know, it's not just something I'm going to leave you in the dark. Say, I don't know, but I've wrote it down in my diary. I've said, let me go and find or go when I do um 
go back into the unit, ask a doctor or quickly message the WhatsApp group with all the other midwives on and ask them, guys, you don't know of this, but I'm not going to give you any false information. And I'm definitely not going to tell you it looks normal or it's all right. Because exactly. a woman had, she mentioned to me, she was having, um, she messaged me and said she was having um, like shakes on her stomach. So the baby's moving oh. fine, but it felt like, like a vibration or like, yeah, just like a, a like. So I was thinking, like okay, spasm. it could be muscle spasm, but it could, yeah. But she like felt like the baby was shaking, and I'm thinking I haven't come across that symptom before. And you know, you know, when you're thinking, I'm like, I hope that's not a fetal seizure or something like that, mm-hmm. or anything to do with the placenta. I'm mm-hmm. like, I'm not going to tell you it's okay, and I'm not going to tell you no. As I said, if yeah. I'm honest with you, I'm not too sure. I don't know what that could be. So call triage because the midwives are more experienced, and they might actually come across something that's you know that they know of or something they might have heard it before so I said call them now <laughs> and just tell them what you're feeling and what you're what you're going through and and let them assess you sort of over the phone but if you if it happens again go in and just get the baby checked because there's no harm in doing that if something comes up you're in the right place if not what you've spent an hour of your day in the hospital I know it's not ideal but at least you you can go home reassured and know that everything's fine but I think mm-hmm. she had called and everything was fine they said it was normal it might be a muscle spasm she messaged me back straight and said they said it's fine I said okay you've done that I said but still just be mindful because you know you don't um, really know what it is it's not something common and all they said yeah muscle spasm I'm like you know if you feel it again just go in and, and check because I just you know need to what- be on the safe side you know what this topic also reminds me of? It reminds me, he remembers of that Instagrammer, Nicole, what was her surname? Yeah, Nicole mm-hmm. Taylor. Yeah, apologies, I've got her surname wrong. But I'm intrigued to know what really happened with her care. Um, obviously, I've been reading comments on Instagram. I don't know what exactly happened, but apparently she was complaining previously of chest pain. It wasn't just mm-hmm. a sudden onset of chest pain. And I think that's, and I think that, sad tragedy is probably another good example to back up the the disproportionate treatment that some that women are receiving and yeah I think it's I think it's quite it's quite a good case to maybe look into as well yeah definitely I, I find that it's it can be um when women present with certain symptoms and things it can be difficult to pinpoint what it is especially if whether you haven't heard it before or if it's just a little bit of for instance for example um breathlessness it's not normal for you to be breathless especially if you're just sitting down but then on the on on the other side is you've got a growing uterus your diaphragm isn't expanding as much if you've walked up the stairs and come back down or been doing certain things all day you probably might feel a bit breathless and but however you shouldn't really be feeling breathless so like certain symptoms are quite hard to think is this a problem or is it maybe some of your common signs of a growing uterus, you're now 39 weeks, you did say you just, and it's kind of, I think I never, I just always want my women to know if you're feeling something and you're, because it's, it's about you, if you're concerned about it, mm. go and see someone. And yeah. if you've heard it's normal, yeah. but it's not, that hasn't reassured you, come in. Because mm. You can you can always feel oh I've got a toothache you know, but it's fine Do you know what? it's fine I, I can deal with any sense of privacy or it's gone but you know when you feel like no this isn't fine you go and seek so even though you might have called and been like oh someone professional told you it, it should be fine or it will wear off but if you yourself feel like it's worrying don't always take because they don't know what you're feeling so mm. don't always take 
um, the professionals word for it say oh it's normal that's a common symptom but after they've said that you're kind of like oh but it's hurting or but this keeps happening even when I'm sitting down or even when I'm working I don't feel like it's normal for me then that's that's your red flag and that's when you should seek assistance I just always feel sometimes it's some midwives might um say it's normal because sometimes it is but for that woman it might not be normal for them or it might not it might be something brewing for them and I think sometimes it can be hard to again it just comes down to listening really no no one to really blame because again it's a symptom so you can't really blame anyone but it's just about listening to the woman and obviously women knowing themselves no this isn't right for me I need I want to be checked and not leaving until you're happy Mm-hmm. but baby's fine okay but I'm still I want you know I want more because <laughs> we're entitled to it just I'm not just going to have you over the phone and say it's fine and I don't feel fine I'm coming in you no, can't I totally tell me I can't come in and check. yeah so I think being more women putting their foot down being like no I need you to tell me I need to I want to see baby on the screen or I want to listen to the baby's heartbeat because I'm not reassured yet do you think there's I mean, it's not do you think. We do know there is institutional racism in all aspects, in education and in health. Do you feel, what do you feel can, from our from our groups, because we're on the ground with the front line, what do you feel we can do to kind of, erad- not eradicate that, but make it better mm-hmm. in practice? I think in terms of institutionalised racism, it's quite difficult for us to say, you know, what we can and can't do. I think, again, it's literally spreading awareness Mm. and having the conversation that's going to help us. I could be very wrong, but that's what I think is probably going to help the most. Mm. Um, Pulling up your colleagues, if I haven't witnessed it myself, I don't think, I can't recall a a time where I've, I've seen any racism but I mean again as colleagues when you know you see something wrong or if you see a, um, a colleague kind of speaking to um, speaking to them in a certain way or something then maybe just pulling her up on it and being well you know with your colleague can help but I haven't experienced it myself personally I don't think you know I think for me you we would have to, as we've said already in the conversation, is we need to be part of those 4% or 5% who are up there mm. to make yeah. the change. Um, mm. I also think as well, you people, clients, so patients, families, they need to see people that look like them as mm. well. We need a very diverse workforce mm. because I think that also breaks down the barriers of I can communicate and say how I feel or then you can probably challenge more if there's more people around to support you. Because let's be real, there could be some things that you say or you challenge and someone else doesn't understand or someone else doesn't, um, you know, they don't understand why you're challenging that or why you're confronting that because mm-hmm. they don't look like you or so they don't understand why you're offended. Um, mm-hmm. So knowing that you're going to be backed up, knowing that you're going to be supported so you can challenge is something that we need to do more of. Mm. Yeah. yeah that's a good point sometimes you might change something but no one's actually supporting you with that and then it just seems like you've it seems like you're the problem and yeah that's, that's not the case that's not the reason why we're highlighting it but the mm-hmm. biggest thing is we've always been taught in like 
in our professions to always be advocate not just for our patients but for ourselves our colleagues yeah and I think you know when we're doing that for ourselves and our colleagues people then look at you like you're the problem person in the in the team but that's not the case you're trying to do what's right to provide better outcomes Mm -hmm. for your clients service users patients whoever Mm. and it's that that somehow got we've got to get rid of that it's that right why when we do advocate for the women that need advocating for while we do it's so weird while we do show like our six c's we show what our nmc is asking for us and we're standing Mm -hmm. up saying no this is what's right that is questioned and then we become that's that midwife again that always wants to do or there's that nurse that always wants it's like we're doing what we're meant to do so how has it become now that i'm the problem and (laughs) and i think yeah it's that and it's that how but how do we get rid of that Mm. I find even when you do yeah and I find even when you do have people of colour who get into those positions even if they're advocating for it the people around them are just like oh we've got our target of you know the 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 multicultural people we have in this team we don't Mm. need to go any further (laughs) we can try and like silence them by keeping them in this position and then there's all these other things that come out but that's probably one of the biggest things I want to change because like Diane said it's got to come from within yeah not just the four percent it has to come from all of us but then if only two to three people are doing it here there and everywhere it's never going to flourish yeah it needs understanding it needs awareness and it needs to be as important as everything else you know mm-hmm. because what we don't want is how can you have a world-class nhs service but yet you have a population that are gonna die more mm. yeah one bit all yeah you know like oh my god it's the most amazing service you know we have the best care and we're very lucky we do have great care but i don't want to be pregnant and be like oh shit oh whoops <laughs> i don't want to be like <laughs> oh like i might i'm gonna i'm pregnant and i'm worried you know i'm pregnancy in itself is already a thing and then mm-hmm. you're now worried yeah. about the birth who am I going to meet what's mm-hmm. it going to be like are they going to listen to me or and then mm-hmm. you now delve into the realm of anxiety because now you're an anxious mom. exactly I think and all that is that? gonna from the start of that all that that playing on you is mm-hmm. going to affect the labor it's going to affect the delivery and it's going to yeah and trauma some some women are really traumatized by their first delivery that I'm not having a second one when the second one comes they need more more of that support because the first time was just horrible no one listened there was just and it's it's really sad here in some of the stories it's not you should you, it's so so you shouldn't have had to experience that. Obviously, to some extent, you have those situations where maybe you've you planned for vaginal birth and you've had a C-section, but obviously that was sort of beyond your control because they needed to get the baby out, whatever clinical reason there could be why why it happened. But for those that you potentially hear the story and think, if you was maybe listened to it a little bit earlier, potent- you can never really say, but sometimes you, you can't help but think, if you was listened to it earlier, maybe that outcome would have been different for you. Or... Mm. You- process just would have felt different so he said they listened to me the whole way through I still got the birth that I didn't that the, the mode of delivery I didn't remember as a section or four steps or whatever but I was listened to I made that choice when it was you know I I felt like I was part of the, the process of the choice and and what happened so I'm not faulting the outcome as negative it was okay it was positive because I was in control of what happened Mm. I think from 
but as a white person i think i think 2020 has been amazing in terms of protesting and supporting the black lives matter movement and i would be ashamed if people didn't see that documentary and continue that support and actually put it together because it does come down to that as well you know i don't believe you can support the like say people went to the protest supported black lives matter but then saw the documentary and didn't think anything of it because that just defeats the whole purpose of what they were fighting for and i think people mm. need to continue that and i don't i'm I, i'm scared if people aren't I think it'll be really interesting. <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Sorry, I don't know. If that no, no, you sense. go. I um, think it's really interesting to see what would happen, like in the next what what is to happen, like in the next three, six, eight, wait, three, six, nine, twelve, eighteen months time to see if anything has improved or changed. Obviously, again, things aren't going to happen overnight, and statistically wise, statistic, yeah. uh, statistic wise, things won't change just like that but I think it'll be quite interesting mm. to come back again and like discuss the subjects and see if anything has changed even if it's a small bit because like we said change is not going to happen overnight but to see yeah. if there has been a change in how things are run the way things are carried out and see if it's if it's promoted more of the of the best outcome for the delivering the, for the delivering mother I think what happens sometimes is like with the Black Lives Matter, with the BML March and um, like the five, five more, mm-hmm. there's the new campaign of five more and there's another one. I, just, I just can't think of the other ladies that are doing their sort of birthing rights and stuff campaign as well. I think the more campaigns that come out, more women that say we're doing this and we're going to talk about this, it puts the... It puts a bit of fear on the institutions. They're like, oh gosh, there's campaigns coming out. We don't mm-hmm. want our trust to be the ones that don't look like we're doing anything. Someone's got to do something. Mm. So we've got a campaign. It came, we were starting our campaign before some of these things came out. Um, but before the night of the documentary, I think the documentary came out on, on Wednesday, wasn't it? Or potentially, I, I don't know. But last week, so that same morning we had a, we was having a discussion about our campaign and what we can do and then being like make sure you guys watch the documentary and we can regroup and see what happens and it, it is just interesting because you think we're gonna you're gonna do things because you want to show that you are putting into place some form of action mm-hmm. but again it's that like, but are we really making work to change or make it look like we're, we're doing mm. work to change yeah, and I think that's what's just wondering because it could we can all, it can look like they're doing things to change, but then when you look into it, it's like, but you haven't had one outcome. There's no, you haven't had one sort of okay, we're going to do this, and then you know a proper plan. Because even when we had the um, meeting, it was just like there wasn't any, and it's hard to understand that, but there still isn't any. Okay, there's no action plan. There's not even one point to say yeah. okay, at least let's try and do this. There's no plan. So we're talking about it, we keep talking about it. But once we're finishing the meeting, it's like, okay, but what if, have we had one example or one action plan that we're going to do or lean forward in the next month or so that we can come back and say, yep, yeah, we've achieved that? Not really. So it's like, are we just mm. looking like we're doing things and not actually doing anything? Because if we're going to have a meeting about something at the end of that meeting, because we was having it with, you know, directors and consultants, by the end of this meeting, we should all have been able to think of at least one thing that we can re like 
look back at and revisit in a month's time and say we've worked to achieve some of that if it's Mm -hmm. not 100% at least above 80 we've done something practical Mm -hmm. even yeah even if it's getting women signed up to like like a talk or you know black women at booking that midwife signed to say and the woman have signed we've spoke about this that and the other and they've signed it's like are you happy to just sign this that we've had this conversation so that we now can say okay community midwives have done their due diligence they've they've spoken to black women and you know they've discussed this plan and they're aware of that risk and they've gone off and directed them to Mm. five more or something like that so they're they're informed yeah that's it it just needs there needs to be a task and I think without that, then it just looks like we're looking like we're changing and we're not. Yeah, it's yeah. all airy-fairy. You know, we're saying it to mm-hmm. say, oh, God, did you guys see that thing? We need to address it. We need to do something. We need to show that we're, we're on, you know, and we're, we're current, we're woke. We're, we're listening to what's going on out there. Yeah. But as you said, there's no follow-up from that. What has changed? <laughs> yeah. How are you monitoring things? Have, you, have mm. you created a role so there's a named person that can yeah. go out there and support midwives mm. or teach them how to have those yeah. kind of conversations or have mm-hmm. like a questionnaire or we're going to say right we're going to target from January to exactly. I don't know July we want to mm. target all these mums that come in we're going to follow them from antenatal through to like two weeks post delivery till they get yeah. transferred onto the next service and we're going to be monitoring them throughout mm. and get an idea of their experience and what can be different what was good what was bad you know what they need to do? I think they need to make another documentary to see if there has been any follow-ups, to see if there has been any changes. I think I think what Remy was saying, like um, we need to apply more pressure. Like these campaigns are applying pressure, but we need to follow up yeah. on that. And that pressure needs to be constant because, and like Remy said, are they putting these meetings in place just to so- show face or are they genuinely trying to make a change and to make it fair amongst all women Mm -hmm. but we won't know unless that pressure is applied to see what the outcome of this is so yeah pressure is I think pressure in these campaigns are key to be Mm -hmm. honest and and exposure I think I think from that documentary it it now needs to follow up to see if anything is being done no I totally agree but in this is why I'm saying like we're gonna need like six months or so to come back and yeah. see if anything has changed at all even if it's a small change just to see that something is actually being actioned and it's not just all talk to look good in front of the camera but things are actually progressing role. Yeah. yeah and I think what Diana mentioned when you said um a role like having a role and it's kind of like yeah you guys know it's an issue we're five mm-hmm. times more likely to die during mm-hmm. childbirth you there it's an it's a big issue here so why are you not creating and and having funding for someone to have a role this to play it. in your trust to say okay well this is the role of this mid this person who's going to look at those things and has the time because that's their role to do questionnaires or do um making sure women have that detail and then obviously auditing the community midwives or auditing the nurses yeah. and doing things. It's like, if you know it's an issue, then why do you not want to fund it and exactly. then find a role for it or find, yeah. So it's kind of like you ask, and that's why it comes challenging because you're asking us to, well, not us, but you're asking for people to come up with outcomes and how, how we can change this, how we can that, but yeah, solutions. But again, you're not going to have anyone that's even checking if they're doing it. Mm-hmm. so everyone can say yes I'll do this yes I'll do that but who's checking 
so so then it yes so then just kind of if you know it's a big issue then you've got to provide and again well so when they do that you should provide the funding to help get these solutions solved to some extent yeah it does make a lot of sense and if we're talking about Mm. it from a business commissioning point of view Mm. you're going to save a lot more money because if you have a named role and have a named nurse or named midwife or named professional and their role is to get these disparities down you're going to save money you're not going to have to go for serious case reviews you're not going to have to pay out Mm -hmm. people because people are Mm going to file cases and Mm -hmm. file claims against you and you're going to have better outcomes Mm -hmm. and you're going to have a health Mm -hmm. service that is safe for everyone where everyone feels exactly. safe yeah that to me triumphs everything and that's the goal we want everyone to walk into hospital knowing no matter what no matter who looks after me I'm going to come yeah. out with my child and I'm going to be mm. fine yeah that is the goal I agree but with that being said I think we should wrap it up there because I think this I definitely think this is the conversation we should come back to in a few months and see if anything has changed yeah because this is going to be an ongoing thing we want to make sure the outcomes for yeah our patients, service users and clients are actually improving. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. So hopefully six months later, Definitely. Remy, we're going to have you back and we're going to have this chat again and see oh. what happens or what has happened in the last six months to improve the current statistics. Yes, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Good. So guys, I think actually always... talking to you guys has made me think of something to be fair. Oh, really? <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah, I think when I was talking, something just came to me as a because, like I mentioned before, no, not to go off again, but um, the outcomes it was hard for to even say anything. I was like, well, what do we do? How can we do it? But just in terms of having something that maybe we've shown that we've spoken to women about certain things because we don't know if, if it's being said out there, like birth rights, choice of birth, things mm-hmm. like that these things that are important for them to know are we really saying them and having things where if women are happy to say yeah I've had a midwife say that to me then that can be audited so maybe I could suggest that and see how Mm. it can go more things to add to the CV yeah just a little well I'd love to see how that comes out to be honest to see if it's actually made a change in practice and what Mm. it would lead to 100% I agree but guys, as always, oh, if you want to, oh, anytime, we will have definitely have you back again. And if you would like to contact Remy, she actually has no social media. So if you would like to contact her on her email, her email is? It is remy.carfee at nhs.net. So it's R-E-M-I, no Y, but <laughs> C-A-R-T-H-Y at nhs.net. I might okay. be on the social soon, but for now I'm very low, low key. <laughs> no, that's fine. That is very fine. And as always, if you want to hit up me, Diana, Clarissa, you can hit us up at the Nursing Handover Podcast on Instagram, which is at the Nursing Handover Podcast. Um, if you want to hit us privately for Clarissa, it's at Clarissa Ferrara. Wait, is there a dot? Uh, no, no dot. Why, why, why do I do this dot? every week? I'm really sorry, guys. <laughs> Ferrara at nhs.net and then my personal one is clarissaferrari at who.co.uk cool and for diane you can hit her up at dd lutz on instagram and on twitter at patty d yes and for me you can hit me up at jellybean on instagram and twitter and it's jellybean with three l's and two a's 
And we also have a Twitter page for our podcast, which is at underscore the handover. Wait, no, I've said that wrong, innit? No, at the underscore handover. I need to stop doing this. <laughs> I need to stop because clearly I can't. Do, I can't remember this. But no. Um. So yeah, guys, hit us up for if you would like to share share what you have learned, or if you've got any questions, feel free to hit us hit us up, and we'll be back next week with another another episode. Take care, guys. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye.